He opened the door and who's standing at the door? Who's in there? It was Hillary and Bill Clinton, who I had the pleasure of meeting there. Wow. Kofi Annan and Nelson Mandela. Gosh. You walk into that room. What the hell are you going to say? <laughs> no, and you walked into that room. Exactly. With that crowd. Exactly. What did you sh- say? Welcome to Own the Future, a podcast made for and by changemakers, where we gain the courage to own our story, the freedom to own our craft, and the power to own the future. And today we are with the one and only Derek Kahn, who is a mastermind of fashion and design fashionistas. He has he has clothed some of the not some of the but the top artists in the world, aka Madonna and Salt and Pepper, and many many more. As you will find out as we dive into this episode. And what I like most about Derek is he really is a change maker. He really is someone who is a trendsetter. He really broke boxes. He in many ways, pulled himself up by his bootstraps. And he, as we'll find out in his story, just cut through lines and glass ceilings and walls and made amazing things happen in the hip-hop industry. And so, Derek, thank you so much for being here on the show. Well, thank you so much, Lucas, for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. We met probably a couple years ago now. Yeah. And I remember believe. we had you over for dinner. Yes, which was amazing. You had the best chili on the planet. My wife <laughs> cooks a killer chili. She sure does. I, I was, remember. I was thinking about that chili today. I was like, oh man, that was a really good, really good bowl of chili. Yeah. But we, when we sat down, um, I just began asking you some questions. And it, my, my jaw was literally dropped. And I probably talked about you for the next six weeks. I, probably, I still talk about you. I'm like, oh my goodness. You know, Derek. So I, your, your stories are unbelievable. And your, your viewpoint on life and your mental fortitude and so many of the things that you've done is I find so aspirational and incredible. I look at you and I'm like, how does someone do that? So I'd, lo- I'd love to start with your just your origin story. What put you sure. on the map in the first, pa- first uh, you, place? You, by the way, you're making me sound so good. My good. God, I'm that, loving it. That is the, <laughs> that is the goal. <laughs> okay, well, I was born in Trinidad. Uh, and of, Trinidad is a small... Car- is a small Caribbean ca- country. Caribbean island, yeah. Exactly. Um, I remember it being absolutely beautiful. You know, you're going out to na- with neighbors and, you know, it was... We were poor, but we didn't know we were poor. You know, yeah. middle class, lower middle class, I'd imagine. My parents were teachers, but um, I, I didn't know my father at all after my... Uh, we had three of us, brother, two, mm. uh, another brother and a sister. Where do you fit? Um, I am the eldest. The oldest. Yeah. My brother passed away about 10 years ago. Sorry to ap- hear that. Epilepsy. And Sorry to hear that. my sister is in Canada now, married to an Austrian guy. Really cool. I haven't seen them in a long time, mm. but it's family. So anyway, I was born there. And, um, you know, I was always interested in, um, you see, New York is pretty close, uh, a couple hours about. It's about six, seven hours from Trinidad, but a lot of Trinidadians would always go eat to live either in the States, mm-hmm. London, or Canada. So um, my uncle, who was American, would always be there and bringing back all these amazing albums. Um, but back in my day, we had albums. Yep. Vinyls. Yes. Vinyls. Vinyls. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, LPs and <laughs> 45s. LP. So it was all about Broadway musicals, you know, like oh, uh, yeah. Camelot and My Fair Lady. And so I grew up in that musical atmosphere where I would always sit by myself and listen to all these amazing mm. albums and just fantasize being on Broadway there, you know? Really? And then my dream started coming true. I'd go to New York regularly when he was there. I had a lot of friends and family in New York. So I started going there on a regular basis. Some fun I was about from about nine, ten, something like that. Mm. 
And uh, then um, I went to one of the better Catholic schools there in Trinidad. And after school, I actually left before I graduated because I got a job in the television um, station in Trinidad. Again, this is very small, a uh, small thing. And uh, but it was wonderful getting to meet some amazing people. And um, I was a technical operator. And when you get to know me, I'm the least you technical, are not a technical te operator. Company. That's for sure. <laughs> exactly. How long? How long do you got fired? Well, actually, <laughs> believe it or not, I actually left there because I got a better job. When I was 17 with the government, I was an audiovisual expert just because I was working before with audiovisual equipment. Yeah. Suddenly I'm an expert. So that um, that I had to leave because I just the lure of New York, you know, you always want to be there. And again, growing up with all it has these, that vortex kind e of pull. exactly, exactly. I just knew that is where I needed yeah. to live. So um, I just took the courage and one day and just left and moved to New York with my uncle. And I remember uh, basically my my best friends who were my neighbors in Trinidad lived on 72nd mm. and Broadway if you knew New York. Now it's a fabulous neighborhood. It's the Upper West Side. But at that time, it was still, um, you're talking 1972, something in that area, little, probably a little yeah. more. Um, it was just, it was good, but it was mixed. Mm. And I got my first job. Imagine leaving this governmental job and this television job and coming. My first job was at McDonald's. It's amazing. Which McDonald's. Up, I swear to God, 50 <laughs> years after, it's still the worst job I ever had. I remember I them in the middle it. of the night freezing and they having me put out garbage bags and all of that. I'm like, what the is going on? So I um I um I bore it out for one night. The next day, literally, of course I quit immediately. And the next day I was on a train. I had friends in Washington. And I said, let me go visit them. So I went to DC and literally the next week I said, Well, I this is a beautiful place where I can possibly live mm. here. So um I went to Neiman Marcus. By chance. By just pure chance. It had just opened at the Massa Gallery. And I got there and I was wearing, um, I remember something I had made. Some local Trini thing that I was wearing. And they must have thought it was some high-end fashion stuff <laughs> from Europe. This really and, fashionable guy uh, showed up. Exactly. And wow. I got the job in like five minutes. Unbelievable. They gave me, and they put would me you, in. So when you were in Trinidad, would you frequently make your own clothes? Sometimes I would because they would like things that I couldn't get there. Is it because you were broke that you made your own clothes? Well, that was also part of the reason. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and then, but there was no high fashion place oh. you can buy proper clothing there. So and where I lived you, in magazines. You oh, know, you I lived like, in magazines. Oh yeah. Oh my God. Vogue, Harper's Bazaar, all the top fashion magazines forever. I was. When in did them. you start looking into like? Consuming so magazines. Very, very young. Really? Uh, yeah, because I had, I grew up with a lot of my aunts and they were quite attractive, um, you know, stylish. Mm -hmm. And uh, so they would have magazines there. And then uh, it, uh, this is so funny. One of the people that a good friend of my mother um, who was from Dubai. Do you believe this? Living no. in Trinidad, a whole no. family. They're a very famous family in Dubai. They're the Kazims. And yes. they are right, Dr. Kazim and Horia Kazim. She's the foremost breast cancer specialist. I then I knew all of them in Trinidad. This is 40, 50 that years ago. Unbelievable, huh? And um she the mother um, Sultana Kazim, her husband is the first doctor, uh, first surgeon from the UAE. Sheikh Mohammed, the ruler, recently honored him. He's about 94 years and bless his soul, he's still around and still working. And um, wow. and she was, uh, she had this beautiful boutique and I would be in the boutique all the time and she'd have all these magazines. Really? Yeah. So I was always, I always that liked clothing, you know. And then I was always on, I was on the talent shows in Trinidad so I would always make my own costumes really <laughs> yes and I couldn't really sew I mean I would just patch things up <laughs> <laughs> You have a, was it by hand or you have a sewing machine? A Your sewing mom machine, have one? Yeah, you know, in Trinidad, all the, all the yeah, houses. Yeah, everyone has a sewing, sewing machine. machine. Exactly. So um, I would do my own thing. So anyway, I went with one of my own creations to Neiman Marcus and got the job. That is wild. The next day, now I was in a tent because the next day, of course, I had to get jackets and suits, which I didn't have. Luckily, my friend had and I started borrowing and then eventually bought my own things. Yeah. So I worked there for about 
eight months, but again, the lure of New York, you always wanted New to York, come. New York, Exactly. And that literally was possibly one of the first places um, I started seeing these fa- uh, big entertainers because mm. Pearl Bailey was living in Washington at the time, the legendary star, old star. And I met her in in Neiman's. And that kind of opened up a door. I say, oh my God, here's this legend that I knew about. But you know, you, in front you of my know face. about all the stars from Vogue and from all the exactly, magazines. Exactly, exactly. And all the, you know, Trinidad was, again, because it's a close, close to New York, you had that. Uh, and I had, again, so many relatives flying back and forth. So I had that New York mentality. Gotcha. You know, so... Um, so anyway, I started there and then um, I went a weekend back to New York and again, the same thing. I got a job instantly at Gucci. Mm. And this was the Gucci with Dr. Aldo Gucci and Maurizio Gucci, whose wife killed him. Uh, it was quite a scandalous time yeah. there. And this was in around end of the 70s. Were you working directly with him, like in close proximity? No, no, no. Uh, well, he was always in the shop. He had his office and it was a beautiful boutique on 55th and Madison, wow. part of the St. Regis. And um, it was extraordinary, but, you know, it was more like, oh, my God, I was just a salesperson. In, you know, they yeah. had us there like, you know, they when we when they moved, when they came by, you just shut up and stared, you yeah, know, yeah. Uh, bull actually most of the time but at that time again being new to this but it was that again was one of my extraordinary times was my one of my clients and she only bought umbrellas was Greta Garbo mm. and uh, of course again a major legend these were the people yeah. I read about yeah. and I knew she was living in New York I knew she was never approached she was always wore these dingy um, raincoats and walked around no makeup here but nobody paid her any mind you know but um, so she would come and I would help her with their umbrellas mm. and after Gucci I just started moving in all the top stores I worked for several and several, a lot of them um, Barney's Saks etc so you were you put in a lot of years it sounds like oh yes as in a retail. salesperson in retail uh, exactly without... an assistant buying at Brooks Brothers and yeah. you know a lot of the but all of them high-end shops mm. but it never was for me I was always in the shop making the shop look good pretting it up more than selling <laughs> So so it just was not my my technical assistant that's not very technical. Exactly. I always get these damn jobs that I can't do. So anyway, anyway, this went on and on and on. I was really getting fed up of it. And then finally, I got my last job was with um, Givenchy mm. and I, it was absolutely up to today one of the best jobs I've had. They, it was wonderful working for Hubert Givenchy directly. Mm. He his um, he would come to the shop regularly and it, this was on the Upper East Side of Manhattan um, near the Metropolitan Museum but it was on Madison. Across the street was the Carlisle and this was a converted uh, townhouse that his nephew um converted into this incredible um, store. It was like a country, English country house. Wow. So each room had fireplaces and beautiful pit, um, um, horses, pitches of horses around and wow. gorgeously laid out. Very t- This was Hubert Givenchy anyway. Mm. So you can imagine the taste level. Mm. But what was most exciting um, was the clientele. I My clientele there were people like Marvin Hamlish. Um, I had um, I Bobby Short, these all legendary New Yorkers. Yeah. Um, of course, the best was Jackie Lean Kennedy Onassis, Which is John incredible. F. Kennedy Jr., you know, because they lived around the corner. They lived close to the Met at the time. And yeah. they would always pop in. And their best friend was Bonnie Mellon from the Mellon Bank. And I had such extraordinary times with them because she would shop and she would always buy two and three of each things to send to whichever residence, the one in Virginia, the one in New York, the one in it's Paris. Insane. Unbelievable. It's another world. Exactly. And, but so exquisite. You know, she would mm. come in and you'd look at Bonnie Mellon wearing a simple blue dress, you know, with her Jean Slombe bracelets you would look any and flats flat sandals you know and you'll think okay any other lady but don't let that fool you you look closer she wore dresses that were made by Hubert Givenchy himself wow he did that for no one this could tell you what these were tour at the highest level and wow. the, the braces again it looked like a bunch of 
coloured brangles. These were Jean Slamberger, you know. She, it was at that level, but very understated and absolutely beautiful. And oh. she would always come in with Jacqueline, and they always spoke French together, mm. you know, when they were together. And but they were never ma- any time we stepped in, you know, they changed to English. These were these this Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis was just such a magnificent woman, such a legend, you mm. know, and. Imagine me sitting around selling to her, you know, it was sometimes you pinched yourself. What did it feel like? Oh, you know something? She made you so warm and and, and it was perfect when she mm. was there. But the second you left, you had to sit and breathe. Because really? Because you are dealing with somebody, you know, oh. a, a legend of the of the century, you yeah. know? Yeah. And uh, it was great because when um uh when Bonnie Mellon paid for them everything later on, you know, we'd get these checks in the in the like half a million dollar range, uh, made out to Monsieur Hubert. Givenchy, drawn from the Mellon Bank, signed by Paul Mellon. <laughs> Where else could you have that? that we didn't have inst- we didn't have all these uh, meat television, um, social media things. Now, right. my God, I could you imagine? Snap, snap. Oh yeah, yeah. So it was extraordinary working for them. And wow. anyway, but so um, I started that. But then I went to I met a uh, Andre Leon Talley, who's one of uh, he was one of Anna Winter's best friends, and he was creative director something of Vogue magazine for years and years. And Andre is quite legendary in the fashion business, and I. I met him, and at that time, Patrick Kelly was showing in Paris. He died. Um, he died a couple of years ago, but Patrick was one of the first black members. He was a, a member of the Chambre Syndicale mm. in Paris, and they never had that before. And um, he introduced me to Patrick, and I thought about why not try style, styling. So um, it so happens, um, a friend of mine, we were always party club party kids mm-hmm. during uh, we never really had money but we looked great we had all the big discounts from yeah. the stores so we always dressed fabulously yeah. and after some of the after we, weekends were our weekends and um, I would go partying a lot we went to all the clubs we were from, I started even with Studio 54 back in the day and they always let us in we never got problems getting in is it because yeah. you dressed so well we dressed well they let in all the gay people first yeah it they were always like that because th- these are, we were the people starting the party <laughs> so um we the dress and everything was always uh, well we were always amazingly dressed and um then we always w- came in with a bunch of good looking people mm-hmm. so we were like the 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 in crowd uh, the in crowd but you were know you with more Andy the, at that time well this is the, the this is what we always i was very close to steve uh, to keith herring so Keith was very close to Andy and Basquiat. And of course, we were with that in a crowd. But the funny thing about it is, was I was always, I, Andy was still, of course, quite famous still then. Mm-hmm. But we never liked him because, you know, he was so, hello, boys. You know, he was so, <laughs> so blah, blah, for lack of a better word, you know. So I just completely avoided him. What a complete idiot I was, you know, <laughs> yeah, was the greatest artist of especially because now you talk about how relationships is everything exactly. right your network Ex- is your net worth is, of course yeah. and this was oh my god but we avoided him but we always were with Keith and then we'd go to a place called Paradise Garage which was the most amazing after our club we'd get there like 5 o'clock after studio mm. we'd have a backpack so we Change into uh, just jeans and t-shirts, and we partied. Now they were—it was a crazy time because they—they um, they didn't have a liquor license. All they had were fruit bowls, a fruit punch. But guess what? Those punch were laced with acid. <laughs> Every oh, drug. No. Oh yes, <laughs> it was unbelievable. But at the club, who was there? I've seen Madonna was there. The first she came out with with like a virgin. Wow. With, uh, with the bed on the thing, and we were like, who is she? And I was standing up in the back of Diana Ross, looking at her. And I'm thinking, but at this time she was no big star. She just just broke on. Wow. She immediately became a mega star. Yeah. But at that time, and I was thinking, my God, what is Diana thinking about this new upcome, up yeah. and coming? You know. And so you got that. I remember seeing Prince there. It Gosh. was just the most extraordinary place. It finished around two, three in the afternoon, and then we would go to the um, to the. And what time would it start? It starts about six in the morning. 
wow. five, six in the morning. And then we would go all to Washington Square Park. And if we had enough energy, we walked all the way to Central Park. But Washington Square Park is where we relaxed mm. for the rest of the evening out of whatever anybody else was doing. Of course, I did nothing. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> it, it, we, um, so we sat at, we, we sat uh, we sat there getting that. And then we Keith would Keith would sometimes um, I would have my new jeans. Levi's were the hot thing at the moment, and he would go and draw on my jeans, mm. and I would be so upset. It happened twice. I would go home and wash the jeans. Now tell me what an idiot I was. Could Gosh. you imagine what the worth of those Keith if you had those today? <laughs> exactly. This is how dumb we were, literally. You know. <laughs> anyway, at these at these clubs, it was the Sound Factory, which was a similar club that I I started hanging out with these mm. guys, Jose and Lewis. They were dancers. And um can't remember the exact year, but they came to me and said they were going to see Madonna mm. to interview uh, to um re, to do this. She Audition came up in Vogue, for, right? Yeah. So I went with them and um we hung out with Madonna the entire night. Mm. You know, this was with Debbie Mazar, who was a good friend, her makeup artist at the time. And we just had the blast with her. You know, she was dancing. She, she was like family with us that entire time. Wow. And anyway, of course, she had selected the guys. And they were the ones, I don't know if you remember Vogue, the video, uh, the ones in the Gautier bras. Yeah. Yeah, they were the two lead dancers. So those were my best friends. So when they came back, finally, after over a year of tour, the tour had finished in Paris. Of course, it was the biggest store on the planet nothing to iconic. write on it it was it it, it still is it still iconic, is. Yeah. iconic. and um, they came back and I said how can I get into this so I um, told them to come I remember meeting them at the Royalton mm. Hotel which was the hot hotel at the time designed by Philippe Stark Baba. and um, we got there and um, they agreed I wanted to manage them. Now, imagine I had absolutely no experience in music. All I knew was fashion and clothes. Yeah. So um, they agreed. They said, why not? You know, and then we, I spoke to Madonna. I remember midnight uh, calling her. Um, they had mm -hmm. had her call me and we spoke for hours about how I was going to go about. It, and she agreed. Wow. Let's do it. So um, that's crazy. Yeah, it was. And again, you're talking. Madonna's the biggest star in the world at the but time. But at that you time, know? it's probably, you're, are you thinking this is like no big deal? This is just the world that you're in. To be quite honest, um, something in the back of me was wowing. I <laughs> kept, you know, like, wow, this is unbelievable. But I had gotten used to seeing the celebrities, again, being on Madison Avenue, yeah. sometimes walking down the street, I would see Donna Summer, blah, blah, blah. You know, it was, that's the beauty of New York, mm. you know? So you, you, do, not, you do not become... Um, accustomed as such, but it's still it's it's still something that it can only happen there. Mm. So you know you get used to it. You got used to it. So, but again, after I remember putting down the phone the first time with Madonna, my God, I just got over two hours on a phone call with Madonna. You know, and Gosh. imagine this was at the biggest, the height of at the her, height of her career. Exactly, she was an idol everywhere, and um, so she agreed. And then I started with them. First thing I did, I brought um, one of her man managers into the into the into the group um, one of her um, her music producer chef Patty Bourne at the time and we decided to work on this and we created this but the boys had absolutely no singing talent they couldn't but you know in the world of music you could somebody you cannot sing electronically yeah. you could make yeah. them sound like a million dollars and totally. this is this is what we were doing but the boys had a very heavy uh, drug habit that I really didn't know about until mm. later. And this is where my criminality kind of began. I had some other brush-ins with the law before, like mm. running a turnstile and th stupid things like that. You do in New York? Yeah. Right. Anyway, um, so um, they were kept constantly asking for money. To get you know to do what they were doing and they needed again I had no experience in managing so I am thinking this is what a manager does yes not realizing that everything I was giving them was going into heavy drugs I only literally found out and they recently spoke about this whole prod this their time that time on a documentary they just did for these guys recently in France. So I was, you know, it gave me... Wait, so you didn't know until recently? I didn't know exactly how, how I how knew they were was. doing it, but I didn't know how deep it was. Uh, that's why they eventually broke off from Madonna after becoming her best friends. They were best friends for, for years. So anyway, I got involved in all of this. and Did then she ask them to leave or was it their... 
the, did the drugs uh, just take the toll? I they think had the to... drugs, yes, because she tried her best. She tried getting them help at the Hazelton. I remember getting them registered there, both of them, but they both had their boyfriends and their boyfriends. She was not about to pay for their boyfriends. Right. But in a case of drug addiction, which you, which is, yeah. you, if you're partners, you both have to go in for the treatment. You know, because once you get out, you're just going to fall back into it. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Drugs. Thank God, I think they're all out of it now. Thank God for that, because, but at the time, you these were very young guys. Some of them were under eighteen, like, Gosh. and you know, in the limelight of the this world's eighties, right? Of course, Gosh. yes. And you know, you you're in Paris with every every you know. Chazelles shutting down for you, and you know it's the whole lifestyle was extraordinary. Yeah. They were the biggest, hottest things of the time. Yeah, so um, you can understand where that came from. But they were actually lovely guys. I remember that. Anyway, we broke up after I got into trouble because I put somebody's credit card. I can't remember how I got the credit card and charged some stuff and got busted for it. And this began my criminal, my full criminal <laughs> enterprise, which uh, we'll talk about later on. Will. So I actually had already had a problem mm. there with that. But um, but thank God I got over that immediately. I was not sentenced for any long stay or whatever, no jail term. But um, it obviously left a mark on me like, this is, this should not ever happen again. Yeah. You cannot do this if you want to be somebody in the public public light or did working with any, people. Did that have any effect on your reputation or those around you at the time? Well, actually, nobody knew about no it. One knew. Nobody knew. I brought it out later on. It was quite hush-hush, other than the guys, because they were expecting money from what was going on. And um, that's when the break came. Mm. So then I had the bright idea of putting a boy band together. And we put the band together and I got these four guys. Again, two or three had didn't have much talent, but they were just people I knew and nice guys, uh, very good looking. You know, it was all about the looks at that time. Mm. And the first thing I took them was to an Armani opening and Giorgio Armani's people just went crazy over them. Next thing you know, we're in the New York Times, the Sunday section, pictures of the guys that, you know, so it was um, Bruce Cunningham's um, mm. um, section. So it was hot at the moment. And um, this is even before we got a deal. So finally, a friend of ours who owned um, Kinetic Records, um, a part of Sire Records. Sire is owned by Seymour Stein, who founded Madonna. That was her first label. So this is by pure coincidence. We met at a party. We actually met at, um, I think it was Madonna's um, sex book party, which yeah. was outrageous. You know, the people in cages and it was fabulous. You know, Madonna took it to a whole different level at oh, that time. as always. Exactly. So um, I met these guys there and they were actually the owner of this small production house. So we spoke about the guys. They loved them and they signed them. And just the same night of that party we signed, I brought the guys along and I took them to Seymour Stein's house. Seymour Stein just bought this incredible Central Park West three-floor duplex. Mm. Still had all these boxes around with all this fabulous furniture. And uh, he loved the guys. So um, we got signed and was about to, to, to... we we're going to move closer. But the whole point is to have a group and a group of, of young guys together. The mentality for the group, they all were part, but some didn't have the talent and I had to do some major cuts. And let's just say it wasn't going to work mm. out. It just didn't work it out. Didn't but luckily, it didn't have all the pieces. It didn't have all the pieces together. You know, this was not, this was not in sync. This was yeah. not Backstreet, Backstreet Boys, you know. So, yeah. Um, so then um, I started, um, around that time, we took them, to, um, Jose and Luis was recognized by a good friend of mine. His name is Jimmy Hester. And Jimmy was an old friend. And he, we decided to go go out, um, go out together, um, hanging out with the boys in clubs and especially the supper club in New York. Uh, there was a recent, I'm trying to remember his name now, he recently killed himself. He was a very famous um, chef. Um, Bucha, what's his name? Boulet, Boulet. Anyway, he's quite famous mm. very recently, World News, because he had this huge Netflix show that was quite popular. I'm trying to remember. And um, I, I'll get his name, but either way. So I met people like that there at the club. And um, then I threw Jose and Lewis before that, I threw them up his birthday party there where Madonna came and uh, Calvin Klein. Wow. And, you know, it was quite fabulous. So, 
because of that, you get to meet certain people. And mm-hmm. that's what I ended up doing. So fast forward, um, I decided I was, um, um, Jimmy introduced me to a woman called Beverly Page. Mm. Beverly was head of, of Island Records. Yeah. And they were about, this was around 1990 and they were now, about. Are you just doing, are you just managing these groups or are you doing styling at this I point? Was, I, I was managing that group, um, the, the boy group. I hadn't yeah. started styling. And the dancers, you're just managing the dancers. It, managing the dancers. But what was noticed, not their music, what was they were noticed or what they were wearing. Mm. I had access, I got access to, because of Madonna's background with the boys, I got access to every major designer from Gianni Versace, who was alive then. And people weren't doing that at this time. No, no. No, they weren't. They weren't. Um, at this time, even, you know, they hadn't even started at the Academy Awards and all these big awards show with stylists. They were, we were never a yeah. big thing then. You know, it's only around that time it started. There were um, celebrity stylists. There mm. was no such term. Mm. You know, it just So at wasn't. that point in the music industry, there was the fashion industry at it's, one side. There's a music in- industry, industry, but it wasn't a bridge. Uh, no. Right now, it's like fashion and music is like... Like you look at Rihanna just like signed with LVMH. Exactly. You have the, the, the other biggest... Uh, yeah. What's her name? Cardi B just appeared on the yeah. Grammy Awards wearing a Terry Mugler classic. You know, it was... Only she can pull it off. This would never happen. Mm-hmm. First of all, they wouldn't lend a street black person that. We must be honest about it too. They were quite yeah. racist at that time. Yeah. It was it was a nightmarish situation. Hip hop was considered a street form. Yeah, it wasn't even it, considered music. Exactly. Exactly. So what the hell is this and what yeah. is you know, how can this work? <laughs> Luckily, uh, well look at it now. Yeah. You know, the, the only Grammy thing is Awards a few nights ago, exactly. The album of the year. <laughs> hip hop. Yeah. You know, who can say that? Anyway, so this was this time where this was never done. Mm. Artists weren't even music artists. The big weren't even getting clothes borrowed from other artists. Were they even uh, think? Were, were the artists even thinking? About that at that stage. Well, they always loved fashion. This is the beauty, you know. You are a stage person. You want yeah, to look yeah, fabulous. You want to look good. Exactly. You know, you want to change your trends. You want, you know, you 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 want to look like what you are, a star. Mm. You know, so it was, um, uh, they knew they, this is what there was lacking with them coming. This was Salt and Pepper coming back. Mm. And, and Beverly Page was responsible for them. So we met and we she instantly we instantly hit it off and she had seen what Jose and Lewis were wearing at some of Madonna's big events like her her infamous um New Year's Eve parties, the launch of, of, of her albums, then the big sex party. I had the guys dripping in in, I remember, um sequined and bejeweled um tights. These are the guys wearing <laughs> yeah. these from Versace. Wow. You know, and coming out of the car um, like a dog, you know, with a, a dog chain and somebody's yeah. pulling them. Publicity you do any damn thing. Oh, for sure. And, they, and this was at the time where everything was loose. Madonna would appear, you know, with her n- exposed, you know, <laughs> she didn't give a damn. You know, this was <laughs> this was the this was a, an era that would not happen again. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> well, I hope it does, but <laughs> let's just say not for now. So you found that, um, so everything was going, but at this time I'm building my relationships with Georgia Armani, with mm. Chanel, my friend at Anne Fahey, were, she was fabulous, you know, lending me anything I wanted from Chanel, flying everything in from Paris. I also started with the top jewelers. I remember Muffy Potter at Van Cleef and Arpel, Muffy's a, which gave him this huge socialite in New York City. Um, she was in charge of Van Cleese's marketing area at the time. Um, uh, Carol Brody from Harry Winston's. Um, all the top brands, Graph, everything we were, um, were willing to lend me jewelry for these up and coming artists. Wow. They had never done it before, you know, and I had built a nice reputation with them. You know, we became very close friends yeah. actually so um my first thing was again salt and pepper and i remember some of the, we had to prepare them in a big way they had just signed this mega multi-million dollar contract so they wanted these girls to look top notch yeah 
I gave it to them. I remember the first thing we did was Frank Sinatra's birthday party, mm. which you can imagine what it is like to be Frank Sinatra. And this would have possibly, most people knew he was not going to live very long. Yeah. So this was possibly his last birthday party. And uh, all of Hollywood came out. Oh. And I had salt and pepper dressed in Yves Saint Laurent tuxedos with wow. pearl bras under and wearing Harry Winston jewelry. It was, I remember... Um, the big gossip columnist in the Post at the time writing about them. She said, I was staring to see if there were any bodyguards around because I recognized the Van Cleef's pieces, but there were none. So obviously these girls owned it. You know, it wasn't the truth at the time. <laughs> but this is coming from the, um, uh, the, you know, the hottest gossip columnist yeah. who everybody reads in the top New York paper. So it was amazing to see reactions at the time. And then um, it was the grand time for the First, before that, I took them to Monaco for the World Music Festival with Prince Albert. And they were on Lady Muna's, which was the biggest yacht at the time mm. in Monaco. And um, I had them dressed in Dolce & Gabbana, um, uh, uh, knitted wear, which was spectacular, body fitting. And again, Harry Winston's and the finest jewels on it. Everybody was uh, shocked. Then finally, I did the Grammy Awards for them and I did had them in, they performed in Chanel Couture. Never before had that mm. happened. And followed by the reception in Chanel Couture again. And it was extraordinary. It's so funny to see all these legendary pictures now. Yeah. I recently saw them. Some people started republishing because, again, it has become such a big deal. Mm. So then I started. And then the next the next artist I worked with was Mary J. Blige. Yeah. And she couldn't even walk in heels at the time. And we had to train her basically from, but Mary was fabulous. You know, she always had that, that earthy favor. I did have her waiting to exhale, which was a huge movie at the time. Mm. And she did the soundtrack was the, again, the biggest hit. Then I did her album, Share My World, which was the biggest album. Mm. Then um, um, all, by this time, you know, my reputation started building. I started getting um, articles in the New York Times. I had articles in Vogue magazine. I was doing shows for MTV and VH1, um, CNBC, NBC. Um, it was quite extraordinary, actually. And um, then I started. Then my next thing was a, a girl, um, two girls. One was Brandy and Monica. Both were around the same time and there was, how can we say, it's beef at the time between mm. two of them, two big stars. And to, with, together they created um, what was up to today, they're still the biggest duet in all of music history. It's called The Boy's Mine. And it's up like 14 weeks at number one. It was a massive hit. Wow. So I did their videos and all these things. And then finally I worked with Lauren Hill in her groundbreaking um, um Miseducation of Lauren Hill. Mm. I and by this time I'm working with Albert Watson, um, some of the biggest photographers and the biggest um, videographers. The music business had big money. What was it so, that? What was it that really positioned you to be so different than everyone else in the industry at that time? Well, no, but no. The so-called top stylist at the time, the movie stylist, and. Um, Costume designers had nothing to do with music. Music was, how can we say it, especially hip-hop music yeah. was under them. Mm. You know, so I guess that nobody ever approached them, probably. There were a lot of very good stylists around. So the, you know? there were stylists that were going to some of these massive top-end luxury brands. Yes, but not with black but artists. But not with black artists, mm -hmm. and not with hip-hops. Absolutely hip -hop. It would not. be more in, for movies or... Exactly. Oh, white artists. Hollywood, you know, white like, artists. Exactly. You know, you had, well, of course, Madonna. You had yeah. Celine Dion, et cetera, et cetera. You know, and they were massive stars, but they they had full access to the But design. people didn't mess with hip-hop at that point. No way. Yeah. They, they refused to touch it, especially high-end jewelers and all of that. Right. You know, the big bling things, you yeah. know, the big watches and all of that. Remember when Jacob, the jeweler, was coming out, you know, I I never allowed him because I had access to Van Cleef and I, why would I want somebody like that while mm. I had, you know, the 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 bigger the bigger brands. And obviously I was a snob to this to, to my what I was doing. I would not put the girls in anything less than Alberta Ferretti, um, you know, Jean-Paul Gaultier, all mm. the big designers. Um, you see, the thing about with fashion, I always tend, I like the some of the older designers because of their, uh, their, 
what they do for fashion, the way they create it, the masterworks they do behind yeah. it, their team of people. New designers have the ideas, but they don't have that. They don't that, have the capacity the, to, and the to create to exactly. And a lot of them, to me, are you know. How can I put it? A lot of them copy, especially today, you know? Yeah. It's hard to distinguish a top designer, you know, the days of Celeron, the days of Givenchy, you know, are over. Mm. You know, you find a lot of, uh, because of new trends and of course, because the whole business has completely, magazines, nobody reads magazines, everything now is, is is influencer influenced yes you know by who so, wears what exactly i mean you have people like the kardashians to me that are a complete waste of time mm. you know I, I i admire people who are talented people can sing dance act you know when yeah. you have people who do a porno film and get famous to me that so is so wild it is old but this is the world we did it in. is the world we live in exactly i have a lot of friends one of my other friends i've known for years uh, she started in cosmetics and now it's valued at over a billion dollars. This is Huda Beauty. Yeah. But that's one person who deserved it. She was always yeah. an amazing friend, always a lovely person, mm. very humble, very kind. And herself and her sister, um, you know, so I'm totally proud of what they have done, yeah. you know, but they I know. They built so, a company, they built ex something. Built, exactly. And that's With good. a real value, not exactly. just trading off just a, a, a picture with you smiling and posing and you have two, 300,000 followers <laughs> up to today. This is how we are now this is why we have to work now mm. but it's still i much prefer back in the day when i go and get my magazines at the end of the month yeah. go through a bit and then get inspired by what i'm seeing and doing you know and create my own visions for it but so this is how this went through and i worked with carlos santana i worked with queen latifah i helped her on um, on chicago the movie i didn't do the movie but i did her all the publicity stunts before you know partying with Anna Winter and and um, and um, Nicole Kidman and sitting on the same dinner table with them you know these are times how much how much of it in that celebrity world mm -hmm. is it publicity stunts and is it true relationships true friendships I mean you have a total insight on well, to me, for what my part of it and where yeah. I was, it was more you have because you're a powerful person in this public eye, mm -hmm. um, you have a choice of who you're going to be with. Right. Some of the instances like Monica and Brandy, they hated each other. No, well, they didn't really hate each other. Let me let me clear that they they liked each other, but their people. The mm. record companies were different. Rivals. Rivals. So there was, they built that tension into the Which relationship. Which is great for show, show business. Absolutely. Because it sells records when, you know, she slapped, whatever happened, these things happen. Yeah. And it sells magazines. It sells records. It, it puts yeah. you more into the pub. So, but from the level that I was seeing, like people with like Queen Latifah, who I absolutely loved. Mm. And my time with, with Aretha Franklin, I've worked for years with Aretha. Mm. And that to me was where you see the true power. Yeah. The true power house i remember going for dinners with her and i was sitting next to bill cosby on one side and she's on the other and i'm in the center you know you look at yourself like how the, what how the hell am i here? doing here yeah. you know and yet you know you'd have you you'd see um like with cosby for instance i um uh, to be quite honest with him um I, this man was a legend to me, you yeah. know, he was the, the biggest thing. And I grew up watching exactly. Cosby show. And I remember that time, um, Bill called, um, Denzel Washington had just won an Academy Award. Mm. And I brought it up. I said, um, oh my God, isn't that amazing? And he gave me such a negative, nasty response. Really? You know, and I looked at it like, oh my God, like there is jealousy and hatred in every level, you know. But coming back to it, I tend that the people who were in their own individual small circles, like they, I don't know how they truly felt about the people, mm. but in front of them, they had the most incredible personalities so you can imagine nicole joking with anna winter you know this yeah it was fun you know yeah it's it, so it, i would I imagine negative negativity i would imagine and i think you've said this before at that level of of excellence and craftsmanship and as a performer as a person yes it's it's can't be fake no. Right, you can't fake it. Like you have to have real substance behind you. Absolutely, 
I mean, if you're a great actor, you can, you know, there's certain times even now I hate someone, but I still have to smile in their face and yeah, say yeah. hello. That happens, but not to the level where I'm seeing them all the time and have to be with them all the time. No. Yeah. And this and a lot of these occasions, they they were true developed fan friendships, you mm-hmm. know. I've seen a lot of these big stars call each other up, you know. I've been on the phone where, you know, they would call Oprah and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, just mm. like friends, girl, what's going on? How are you doing? You know, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, a little bit of gossip. What is she wearing? You know, yeah. you get that with everybody and in every level. And probably normal. Once you're at that stratosphere, it, it normalizes. It's, exactly. It's, it's just another person. Exactly. Exactly. Well, do you have any stories from, you know, maybe one of the one of the most extraordinary people that you've met, I don't know who it might be, mm-hmm. but of, of seeing their humanity come out like that. Um, they have been, and some of the reserve, some of the reverse. Um, I was with a very big star and I'm sorry, I can't give the name. That's quite all right. But um, we were at a concert and after the concert, um, one of these children from uh, um, the one of these uh, uh, faithfully one of these kids who are about to die. Mm. Um, I forgot the name of one of the charities, and they would bring them backstage or so, you know. And this beautiful young girl, um, can't remember what she, I think it was leukemia or something. Oh. And she brought her backstage. And at that time, I was, I had a bunch of diamond little crosses and braces that I had put onto my dancers. They were real, real diamonds and thing. And um, the star that the girl came to see. It was basically, I don't have time for this, you know. And I was, it. this was somebody I always admired. It was horrifying. Uh, luckily, I went to her and I had one, I had access. And I got, gave her one of these diamond crosses, you know. And I said, she's so sorry. She's not well. She's just, good, but she would love for you to have this and blah, blah, blah. You know, of course, the child was very pleased, but she really wanted to see her. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes you see these negative things that, that you know, that who one of the people that had a total humanity, humanity about her was Pink. Yeah. Pink was so wonderful. You know, she I've seen her at the end of grueling interviews and concerts and would take the time to meet some of her fans and, you know, especially um, uh, especially the youth, you mm-hmm. know, the young children and the girls. And she was so wonderful. You know, there were several times we were out eating and, um, you know, I remember one Grammy night, you know, we just finished performing at the Grammys and we, was, we were hungry and we went to, it wasn't in and out it was another burger joint yeah. in LA. And of course, everybody just see, finished us seeing her and the thing and here we are in the restaurant in this with everyone else exactly you know and she was so down to joking with them and they were why aren't you at you know at whichever best restaurant yeah. why aren't you at the dinner and we're like honey we want to be with you that's why you know and so Gosh. you found that that beauty within you know salt and pepper were the same and aretha oh my god aretha i have so many great stories with aretha you know sometimes i'd go to do change her with assistants who were like just mortified because she's such a legend and she would come out in her draped in her little um bathrobe and all of that and you don't ask people at that stage to take pictures she would do it you know she would say come 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 you know and always had food for everyone you go to her she used to stay at the trump tower um the trump tower because you know in um in New York on mm-hmm. Central Park and every time you go she always had a table laid out with Chinese food and you know Gosh. she was yeah but she was yet such a, you know she's a legend this woman walks into a room and everything stops you yeah. know even with the most crowded I remember I missed out on this but a dear friend of mine um he we we went to the Bono concert mm-hmm. And I remember this, but although I wasn't there, I was so pissed um, with him after. He says, come, let's go backstage after. And he goes backstage and he opens the door. And who is there? His name is John Keaton. He runs, he's the chair of his great grand relative uh, was Ira Gershwin. So he runs the Gershwin Foundation. And he um, he always told me this. He opened the door and who's standing at the door? Who's in there was Hillary and Bill Clinton who I had the pleasure of meeting them. Wow. Kofi Annan and Nelson Mandela. Gosh. You walk into that room, what the hell are you going to say? 
<laughs> you know and you walked into that room exactly with that crowd exactly what did you sh- say uh, <laughs> you know what could you possibly say you know this is so these are the things that you remember forever yeah. you know and what was it like meeting hillary hillary Bill, was well okay. and we'll go one at a time okay. hillary hillary was extraordinary i met her before um, John again was very close to them, and I met him with um, with with Chelsea. We mm-hmm. went to dinner at De Savinio's, and it was so civilized. You went to dinner with Hillary, D- with Chelsea and Chelsea. John first. Okay, and John, they were best of friends. Yeah. In fact, John's roommate eventually married Chelsea. Wow, very so close we friends. Were, yeah, at, at Stavin- De Savinio's, which is this really cool restaurant. Uh, it had been there forever in the village. So we were eating and we have a great time. And then I didn't even realize it when we come there were like four or five photographers just about to take pictures of us coming out, you mm. know, and what what was great was what Chelsea did. She always told them, please don't interrupt me during my meal or so. But when mm-hmm. I finish, I'll take care of you. And this was so fabulous with yeah. her, you know. So that was she my has her fir- boundaries, but she's still generous. It, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. She, you know, and she was just the most lovely down to earth person you can imagine. It's got to be hard as a, the kid of a president. Ex- ex- of it's course. It's a hard role. <laughs> of course. I think she, she recently stood up for Trump's kids. Yes. Because they were getting slaughtered in the media. With, and yes, she said. With, the, with, yes, his um, Trump's son or yeah. something. Yeah, and she's like, "Hey, leave the kids alone. Exactly. Leave them out of this." Exactly. Which she is, probably went through it when she was was a child. Gosh. Yes. So she was extraordinary, and um, then about a, a week or so after, her mother was coming to Harlem for something, and um, uh, the mother's best friend and very close um, associate, who was married to that uh, that guy who who in New York was he was. Not the mayor. He was up for elections. He, but he had these um, pornographic things he was sending out to people. It was a big scandal. Um, I'll get her name again. I forgot it. But anyway, mm. she organized it with Hillary. She's Hillary's close, um, very close assistant. So I got there and I remember it was very early in the morning and I'm not a morning person. Mm. And out comes Hillary into this um, this this. Is this small when she's function. the first lady? Uh, or is this after? This is after. Okay. This was after. And she comes out and she was just the most wonderful person. She came up to me, of course, her assistant told her who I was and blah, blah, blah. And she came up and was just the nicest person. Wow. You know, and we spent, we had lunch. We, you know, it was amazing. What did you guys talk about? Um, literally everything. We talked about fashion. We talked about, um, she asked me about how do I like do what I'm doing mm-hmm. and, you know, working with, uh, working with uh, the music business and who were my favorites and what type of music I had liked and, you know, a lot. And mm. we spoke about so many things and it was extraordinary because she put you at ease right away. This is a woman who is, yeah. <laughs> is, is what yeah. she was, you know? And uh, so that was amazing. That um, that was fantastic, actually. Mm. And I met her again. But um, so, and the great thing, I had so many pictures with her and all of that. And, you know, she's great. That's amazing. And with Bill, I was in Harlem. I had just moved into this really lovely brownstone. Uh, they had just finished um, fixing these things wow. up, renovating them. And um, Bill came up to Harlem. And of course, he was still with full secret service. Mm. And... They arranged it. So Bill's assistant, you obviously just don't run up to him. How are you doing? <laughs> no, no, you don't do no, that. No, you don't do that. So um, he, his assistant um, spoke to him and then he called and he gave me this big hug and started chatting. Uh, we didn't stay very much longer talking because obviously he was on a tight schedule yeah. to go. But uh, that was extraordinary too. Wow. You know? What was it like meeting Nelson Mandela? I, well, that was extraordinary. It was again at the backstage and he was so kind. He was asking me about, um, you know, do I look good? Obviously, they told him I was in clothes. <laughs> it's you probably, know? It's probably you get that question a lot. Do I look good? This is the funniest thing. Hell yeah. What you? Like, what am I going to say? <laughs> Even nah, if you look bad. Sorry, I would Hillary. <laughs> no, sorry, Nelson. Let, come, let me take you shopping. Uh, I wish I could. <laughs> Listen, I'm already gagging and in shock that I'm standing up oh, in front man. of you. Nelson much less. Mandela. Exactly. You know, you get these faces. I mean, I've been with, I've met all these amazing, extraordinary people. But when you meet somebody on that level. But, I mean, Nelson, he changed the world. The world. Exactly, you're tongue tied. You know? I mean, it's not like there's one thing to to be close to maybe Madonna, who she 
change the world, but the, the star of stars, right? Yeah. But, but then what Nelson did is just exactly, on another stratosphere. Exactly. Or an ex-president, you know, yeah. these, are, these are extraordinary people, yeah. you know, legendary. They're, they're down in history forever, oh, you know? Forever. So it is a whole different, uh, a whole different way. I remember, I remember um, meeting, um, we were, we were in, um, was it at the Grammys? Um, where again you had um you had certain you had certain individuals coming in. Um, to be quite honest, I remember going with with Aretha to the White House, mm. and this was at when Bush and I. To be quite honest, I was not a fan of Bush, mm -hmm. and um, I just went there because it is of course the White House and the Capitol. She was performing. This was um this was Fourth of July. She was performing there, and it was extraordinary because you are in the capital and you're in the walking around the senate and all of that yeah it's an amazing no, it's, place exactly and so amazing exactly and everything is sealed because we're the only ones there you know the only ones other than the actual senators or whoever mm -hmm. and this is not a business day it was a holiday but you know you get there and then you get to meet somebody like bush himself you know and you did you meet bush yes i did in in the uh, in the capital Wow. As he came to say hello to Aretha and, and I was with Aretha. So I didn't, I was not personally introduced, but I wasn't next You were right next there. to him. Yeah, you know, so, you know, you meet people who uh, can change your life, you know, and it it is an extraordinary moment. And that's, you've, you've also, uh -huh. oh, sorry, finish your thought. The, the, that's the thing I think I never did with, like, 12 years on top of my game on that. I never took time to appreciate these moments. Mm. And only years after, like now, I think back and I said, oh, my God, I wish I had done this, you know, mm. you know, spent a little more time thinking, OK, this is it. This is wonderful. You know, it happens and you think, oh, it's going to happen right away again. You know, so you, you always enjoy these moments in your life mm. and take time to appreciate it. Yeah. You know, even meeting, even meeting people you admire, not necessarily in the full limelight. Yeah. Also, you need to enjoy that person. Take time and do that. It's true. Even in the, the whether it is, you know, those people in the limelight, yes. people who have totally changed history, people you yes. admire, or as if it's the, you know, the little kid with leukemia. Absolutely. You know, realizing, taking time for humans, period. And, Absolutely. Um, you know, it, it is, it's essential. You know, we, we in Dubai right now live in a society that, uh, and Indians, you find that, and a lot of um, low, um, Emiratis and people from the Middle East, because they can afford it, you have a full staff, you know, of people. And, you know, we're living in the West, at the height of when I had a lot of money and I was in the height of everything. Yeah. I had a maid that came in twice a month. Yeah. No, tw I'm sorry, twice a week to clean for a couple hours. You know, we never had lived in, we didn't know this thing until no. we came here. We never had this type of thing. Unless and you're coming from like old, old money in the, in the States. That's, of course. It's, it's exactly that. Or, you know, big nouveau reach, right, massive yeah. money. Yeah. But we weren't in those categories at all. You know, we were comfortable. We but were here it's normal. Here it is so normal. These families, you know, like, uh, you know, my friends all have their cooks who get up in the morning, prepare for them. We never had that. No. You're Americans. No. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I wish. It's a whole different, a whole different thing, you know. And yet you see, you see, you have to treat people equally like mm. everything. You know? And I, I tend to judge people the way I see them treat others. Yeah. You know, I go to a restaurant, um, I've been with friends and, well, people, acquaintances, and, you know, their arrogance and telling the waiter this and that and, you know, acting obnoxiously one o'clock in the morning. Where, yeah, it was just, oh. you hate that, you know. I like to see, and surprisingly, all these mega stars that I've been with, and I see how they treat people that work for them, and I see how they, I judge them by that. Yeah. You know, their characters, it means a lot. It to means see. a lot. Exactly, exactly. Because it shows who they really are. Exactly, it shows they humanity you know? yeah you also met trump what was that like uh, i met trump um back in the in way in the 80s oh this was not recently early early trump oh, early early trump this is when he was going through all the big scandals of you know his casino yeah, his casinos and crashing crashing and, and well none of us knew this we all thought he was god yeah <laughs> yeah, so yeah. We amazing he was one of the customers at Givenchy gentlemen mm. so i met him there and i um and um I met Ivana at the mm. time, his first wow. wife, you know, and this was just before the divorce and all of that. But, you know, he was so 
liked mm-hmm. at the time. You know, you, nobody really knew what he is. Uh, what we all thought he was this uber successful business guy. Business guy. We didn't know what he really was. So um, that in itself, and again, it was a matter of buying clothes. So it was not really. Um, you know, I would just show him a couple yeah. things, and he, you know. But he was charming because he knew the the who the store and the clientele and all of that. And yeah. they came, you know, it was funny because I remember him coming in as this super, that time, super stretched lemos with the hot things. Oh, they were back the then, horrible they? things, exactly. They've kind of uh, faded these days. You don't yeah, really see you found, you found that, you know, these big escalades and all that became, mm-hmm. you know, more yeah. easier to run than these big, ugly, long things. Oh, they're horrible. But at that time, I remember, especially uh, before he had come, I remember... Bonnie Mellon had come in and she was she was in with her driver in a simple Mercedes station wagon. Mm. The driver in front is her bodyguard and all of that. And simple. She sat in front with him and, you know, he stayed and she came out. And when Trump, I remember coming with this long, big, ugly <laughs> car that took up nearly half the block. You know, we were like, I was like, oh, my God, look at the difference between class and no class. Wow. You know, this woman had much more money than him. Mm. It's Mellon Bank, you know. So. It was, it's, it's, you know, you look at these things and you get your own ideas and thoughts together and say, my God, you know, man, but you know, that's life. I like what you, I kind of circling back a little bit. I really like what you're saying about humanity and the way that looking at the way that people treat their staff, looking at the way that we treat people who, um, who don't have something to give us. Yes. You know, it's really easy to treat a, a Hillary or a Madonna or Nelson with this awe and respect and dignity. Um, but asking the question, how are we treating people who have absolutely nothing to give us in return? Exactly. And exactly. showing them honor and dignity and cherishing cherishing those moments in our life. And I wonder... Um, if we're not missing more amazing moments in our life than we realize because we're not seeing people in front of us and we're not recognizing the stories and the humanity of... of that is so true. Nobodies. But, I mean, yes. we, you and I, we both came from nobodies and we came from nowhere in Trinidad, right? Exactly. Worked at McDonald's for a night. Exactly. You know, it's, it's amazing. I tend, to, I always, to me, my only... Grace is, I tend to give everybody a good chance, mm. an initial chance. You know, let me see who you are. Yeah, from inside. You know, of course, if I am after business arrangement or something, it's a whole different thing. Right. You know, but when I get to meet people, and I meet a lot of people, but I'm very particular of those that I keep close to me. I may not see them every day. I don't see you every day, Mm-mm. and yet I know you're my friend. Yeah, you know. This is how it's, it happens. Yeah, I'm always there for anyone like that. Um, so you have to you have to open and give people a chance. You know, hear their stories. You know, yeah. not, what can they do for me? That is, that's just the wrong way thing. to live. Yes, yes, but it so happens. This is how we are now. This is how people live now. Mm. If you can't give me something, what the hell am I doing talking to you? <laughs> you know, it, it's. It's it's obnoxious, but I wish we could get over that, you know? Mm. Yeah. What what do you use to get over that? What do you use in your daily life to see past maybe the suit or the fashion or the, well, one the thing, limelight of some people or not of some people and, and see their humanity? What do you do? Talking to them, mm. you know, Getting their points of views on certain things, beat politics, bringing up Trump, yeah. bringing up somebody else. <laughs> yeah. You know, you, you get an idea of where they are and where their mindset is. Mm. And then I, I feel like if I need to continue a conversation with them or just end it on a very, you know, very, note, yeah. Yeah, very casual note, a very superficial note. Because mm-hmm. everybody loves to talk about fashion. Oh, I love the bag, blah, blah, blah. You know, absolute yeah. bullshit. But, yeah. You know, so, but... You get to meet people and I tend to, when I go to parties, I like to talk to the staff for a second. Mm-hmm. If it's a catered party, it's a bit difficult because they're hiring people. Right. But when you're at somebody's home, I like to see how they react to their their staff. For instance, at my friend's house now, you know, they just got a new cook and the cooks before, they're used to this living. Um, the cooks before, they never spoke to and all that. This new guy comes in and good morning and smiles and all yeah. of that. And I've stayed at their house a few times. And 
you want to be more interested in him. How many kids have you? You know, where, mm. you know, what are your likes? Do you like this food? You know, you bring them a Big Mac sometimes. They love it to death. You yeah. know, simple little things. It's little things. Of course, that gives these people such joy. They're hard. You know, we luckily, even in Trinidad, I never saw the poverty level that I've seen in Gosh. some countries. Oh, man. You know? And even the states, because we were, you know, how can middle class type, you know, you never, of course, I was a lot in the ghetto. Mm. I would be there all the time with friends there and all of that. But there was not that that level of starvation. Yeah. You know, you go to India in certain parts and, you know, you see these things that <laughs> it's horrible, mm. you know, and whatever little you can give to that, you know, would mean a big deal would mean a big deal to these people. And yet you have the negative aspect of it where, you know, I was telling someone, okay, this person needs, let's give them something. Oh no, they're going to sell it and get, I don't really care. Yeah, give let it to them, them sell, sell it. it. Exactly, what do I care? You know, let they have nothing. It. Exactly, you know, and uh, so you find, you find I've, I've gone to some houses This and the same guy I'm telling you about this cook, he just came from a house mm. that literally had an enslaved, oh. you know, he got like four hours of sleep for days going on for days and days. You know, it was horrible. And I can't see you treating people like that. Just hear their story, you know. Mm. Let them tell you about a bit of who they are, where they're from, a small conversation, you know. We are really, we really do live such a privileged life. Oh, we are. I we recently are. heard a statistic that was mm -hmm. if you're making 35,000 US dollars or more a year, mm -hmm. you are in the top 1% of, of the, the globe. World. Yes. So like there's all these more in the West, in the States, you know, 99%, yes. you know, it's the 1% that's, it's like, no, you are a part of the 1%. 1%. Exactly. You are the 1%. Exactly. If you have, if you have a phone an iPhone, if you're listening to this, and I, you're part of the 1%. Absolutely. And I think that is when we start to zoom out and get that perspective. You start treating people a different way yeah. and realizing we are so privileged. I Trust me, I understand that every day. I have had tons of money. I've had none. Mm. I've been in the highest situation and the lowest. I've been to the, as you said, the capital and I've been to jail. And... I have seen some, some even in jail, I remember meeting people there that were extraordinary, yeah. you know, were there for minor marijuana offenses now, which are not even illegal now, mm -hmm. and been there for years and to see their humanity. And it has been extraordinary as well as I've been up with the biggest. Yeah. And I've seen some of the, excuse the expression, the biggest assholes on the planet. Yeah. You know? So. And it's almost like, if I think back to that Cosby thing, um, when our our vision gets so tunneled and narrowed into yes. comparison, um, you know, I can even today, you know, my wife and I went on a date, fancy, fancy restaurant yes. atmosphere, and looking down at these massive villas and buildings, and I could have that moment, or even thinking like, oh, right above me is someone's flat, yes. and you know, feeling these moments of comparison and je envy, jealousy, yes. and I had to stop myself and realize like, wait. The fact that I am in this restaurant right now is a big deal, a major. Deal. Like it puts me like <laughs> above seven billion people. Exactly. exactly. As far as like an echelon of life, and I'm yeah. I'm not a wealthy person yeah. by any means, but realizing that you can afford to do that. Yeah. No, not <laughs> like what a could blessed do life I have. I am I am blessed every day. I may not have to excuse the expression, but. I am blessed, yeah. you know, just to, just just with the people I know. I have I I do not go hungry. Yeah. I have a roof over my head and I have warm clothes. That makes me again in the top two percent. Yeah, you know? it really does. You know, and imagine what people's lives. I said you have to travel. Americans don't travel. Their idea of travel is obviously going to Florida for heat, <laughs> you know, and, you know. It's, that is so true. It is, you know, you need to get out really and see life. In larger perspective. Exactly, exactly. It makes such a difference. You know, we are so privileged. It's incredible. Yes. How did you, for those who don't know the story, how did you end up in jail? Oh, okay. What, brought you, what landed you in the clinker? <laughs> 
That is all for this week's episode with Derek Kahn. Join us next week where Derek concludes his story of how his Ponzi scheme landed him in federal prison. Now, this week, we have a challenge. That's right, a challenge, if you so choose to accept. Now, your challenge for this week is really simple. Derek and I talked a lot about finding the humanity in people and stopping for people and asking their story, people that are serving you, whether it's at a restaurant or a gas station, whether it's your khidma or your, your shagala, stop and ask about their lives. So look them in their eyes, ask them about their story, learn about who they are today. That's your challenge. If you accept this challenge and you do it, message me, DM me. I want to hear your stories. Remember, if you own your story, you will own the future. <laughs>